Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here again with a guest, uh, a type of guest I've never had before, and that is a fellow coach. As you know, I've been doing uh, coaching myself for many, many years, and uh, I'm going to interview someone today who does exactly the same thing. Paul Stretton Steffens has enjoyed being an expert coach with over 25 years of coaching and teaching experiences. He works with a range of individuals from entrepreneurs to celebrities, uh, from CEO to military personnel, and from sporting talent to epic adventurers. And he takes them from where they are to where they want to be. He loves working with people to help them be the best they can be. Uh, He's got coaching certifications in Britain, where he lives, uh, with Amateur Swimming Associations, British Amateur Weightlifting Association, Basketball, Canoeing, Volleyball, Rugby Union, British Amateur Gymnastics Coach, Control and Restraints Instructor. I might need that for my dieting needs. And uh, Basic Mountaineering Expedition Award Leader. So without further ado, I introduce to you Paul Stretton-Steffens. Hello. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, how are things over there in England uh, during this crazy time in our world? Yeah, things are changing. Things are opening up a little now. I think the the numbers are down, and we've just had a, another ranch of phases of opening, shall we say. You know, beauty salons are now able to do facials, and indoor entertainment and bowling alleys are, are able to now function. Having said that, they have to put more restrictions on. If you go to certain countries when you return, you have to go into 14 days quarantine. So there's more countries that are involved in that. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing various phases in different parts of our country. So it just to kind of depends on, on where you are, given our, our size. So I, I'll start with that a little bit. You know, in, in your coaching now, um, are you finding more uh, issues or challenges coming up for people related to, to COVID and all the aftermath that's caused? Not particularly. Not particularly. Um, where I do find it is I do panel discussions around the world in different areas. And that's where all the the worry comes up and the, the overthinking comes up more than actually within the actual coaching itself. I think the people I've always been working online anyway, and the people I've already got working with me and the groups I'm working with, they're already focused on their goals and their purpose and their passions. Yes, they've had some distraction but they're still turning up and they're still going through their sessions. And occasionally it impinges on their plans in some way, shape or form, but they're finding ways around it or putting things on hold and, and dealing with other areas. I appreciate that. Is there is there a theme or a commonality of the type of issues that you're working on your clients with? Like, is there one theme that is the most common or is it so diverse that you couldn't even encapsulate, you know, It's interesting because the the thing I find more than ever is people are intent on finding their passion and their purpose. Now, that could be somebody who's fairly young and and finding their passion and their purpose. 
But equally, you could find somebody like, you know, owners of a business. They've got a very successful business. They've got the family, the house, the nice holidays, nice car, etc. But there's something missing. And that's what I see as the commonality. They, they, they find something that's missing. They, they, they feel that something's not quite there for them. And it's really, you'll understand this, Rob, when you start questioning people and probing a little bit deeper, they, well, I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm not completely satisfied. I'm not completely fulfilled. Something's missing, but I don't quite know what it is. And it's that exploration. And then that inevitably leads us to passion and purpose. I love that. So how, how do you how do you guide your clients to go down that path and find find out that passion and purpose? Well, that's where it becomes a little bit more individualistic. Well, I, I work with them as individuals and there's there's no preset determinate path here. And with some clients it'd be a case of probing and for them being uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And sometimes you need to eke it out of them. And they go, you give them exercises and they go away and they come back. And sometimes they've found something, sometimes they haven't. You go deeper and you go further and you explore different areas. But one of the things I like to do with all of them, which is really common, is I want to ask them what they enjoyed doing between, say, the ages of 9 and 15. And how often, when you get that answer, how often is what they were passionate about as a young person ends up being related to what they pursue now later in life wow how often i'd say probably 50 60 percent that's significant it's significant in that because what tends to happen is for example say somebody was into the dramatic arts uh, when they were young they were into, into acting a bit of singing this sort of thing in mm -hmm. school school plays and this sort of thing as they've grown older and they've gone through higher education through the university they might have pursued it a little bit then but the studies have taken over or they met a partner and that's taken over and they got married and they had the house and the mortgage and then the kids and everything else. And they haven't had time to pursue that. And then when I asked that particular question, I asked them to write a, you know, what I call a blind list where you just, no thinking about it, just put the whole list down and then we'll discuss it afterwards. And they start to really think then about what they've missed, what they've been missing in their life, what's been missing. And we go through a process with that. And they go away. I tell them to stick it on the refrigerator. Uh, so they have the bump into factor. And then over the next 10 days or so, visit it regularly. See if you want to add anything, amend anything, or delete anything on there. And it's amazing what comes back. Very often it's, oh, I used to love doing that. And I wish I could do that again. So, okay, if you did that again, what would it mean to you? Where would it take you? Mm -hmm. how, would it, how would it impact on your, your family life or your community? How would it impact you? And we go through the whole gambit. And uh, I'm assuming, you know, and, you know, I'll re remind you uh, that the name of the podcast is Clear Choices. So, you know, these sometimes I'm sure can be really daunting or overwhelming choices that people are making. Like I have a successful business, um, has nothing to do with acting, to use the example that you gave. Now I want to, you know, I'm 40, 50 years old, whatever. I want to pivot my life to be more connected to my passion. How do you help them navigate those choices? Those are those are not unsubstantial. We go through a whole process of what's important to them, what's not so important to them. We look at the priorities in their lives. I'll give you an example. There was a, one guy, he was, he was about 48, 49, getting close to 50. And he was unfulfilled. He was unsatisfied with his, his lot, as it were. 
but he was in a very good job. And it would be tremendously difficult at that time of life to change career. He'd gone into a very good job. He worked his way up. And he was at that stage now where to change would be a really dramatic thing. So we worked through all these exercises. And one of the things that came up was the, he, he missed working with his hands. When he was younger, he used to work with his hands with his father and all sorts of things, you know, tinkering with a car, doing some woodwork, some carpentry, all sorts of things. So, okay. So, well, if you had a blank canvas, what would you like to do working with your hands? Cause he was predominantly an office worker. I'm working in, in IT. And he said, well, I wouldn't mind trying carpentry. Okay, so one of his tasks was to go and find carpentry classes and you know evening classes or weekends and this sort of thing. And he couldn't find anything that suited him for his particular lifestyle and and his his life work balance. But in the pursuit of that, what he did do was come across a guy who used to teach on the evening classes and said, "Look, I can teach you from home. I have people during the week come to my home, and I can teach you from home some carpentry during the week if you can free some time up." So he built into his agenda. Every Wednesday afternoon, he would go off and finish early and he would go off to, to this guy's house and learn carpentry and working with wood. And at the end, he, I always remember this, he said, look, this worked really well for me because it broke my week up into two parts. I had, I finished the weekend, go back, go to back to work, look forward to Wednesday afternoon for my time doing what I want, a bit of self-care, a bit of you know, purpose and passion. And then I can carry on the week and I look forward to the weekend. And it, that one change made a huge impact on his life. So he didn't have to completely upend his business and, and, and his, his source of income, et cetera. But yep. now he got to completely integrate his habits, his hobbies, and, and kind of integrate his passion back into his daily life. Absolutely. And that's just one example. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah, because it doesn't always have, I think people have the assumption that it always has to be this radical change, you know, oh, I've been a doctor all my life and I've all, what I've always wanted to do is be a pianist, but you know, I can't make any money as a pianist, so I can't quit my doctor practice, so I might as well not play piano, basically, you know, I'm summarizing. There's other ways of doing it. Yeah, exactly. So um, just a quick pivot, how and why did you become a coach? Like what, what was the process, the choice to describe the choices you made to get into this line of work. When I was in the military, I was really fit, super fit. And I did the services PT, physical trainers uh, qualification when I was there. So the unit I worked in was really small. So my responsibilities there were, apart from my normal duties, were to make sure everybody does their battle fitness test, make sure everybody does their combat fitness test, make sure everybody's ready for these particular events through the year, and everybody's generally fit, you know, fit for purpose. And when I was leaving the service, I found a job where I could do that all day, every day. I joined the the home office as a physical education officer, and the coaching qualifications you kindly said, spoke about in the introduction there, one of the reasons you had so many coaching qualifications in a variety of sports where you could be posted anywhere in the home office. And some of those establishments would be secure establishments and some would be open establishments. And by the nature of the work, you had to have a multitude of qualifications because so, you had to respond wherever you were. <laughs> and, and I loved it. I used to cycle to work, 10 miles to work, do a 10-hour shift, which was physical as well as you know mental. And cycled 10 hours home every day. Loved it. Were you an athlete yourself as a young man? I used to play a lot of rugby and, and do a lot of kayaking. 
mm-hmm. and they, they were my my main pursuits was uh, rugby and kayaking. They're not very similar, but um, that's what I, I love to do. I mean, the, I think the piece de resistance for kayaking really was doing uh, we did a hundred mile marathon, and there was a team of four of us, and we did a half marathon for a laugh really a few months before, and. We were just, just happened to be kayaking in an area where they were doing this half marathon. We, we were there for the weekend, and uh, a friend of mine, Pete, says, well, why don't we enter the half marathon tomorrow? I said, yeah, okay, because we were all generally fit anyway. So we, we entered it, and we came first, second, third. Nice. Oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> and then we, we heard about this. Um, it's called the Birmingham Century, and I think it's 96.6 miles or something. They call it the Century. So we said, well, we can enter that as a four-man team. So we did. So we just... We had no support vehicles or anything like that. It was uh, it was one in the boat at any particular moment in time, and the three would run alongside, and you'd have a pack on your back, and you'd stop for a break, and the per- person in the boat would just keep paddling like mad until they were exhausted, and then the next person would get in and just keep going. But there was other teams there that would obviously done this many times before, and they were very well organized with support vehicles and radio radio connections and everything else. Thought, wow, these are really serious. You know, we're just doing it for for the hell of it. <laughs> and, and anyway we came first i think it was like 18 and a half hours so well that that leads me to a, a a next question and you know most of my listeners know that i'm a i'm a sports enthusiast and i've had a number of people on this show that are you know coaches and guides in one sport or another so tell me uh and, and you know that story being a backdrop that you just shared tell me what do you think is available to people who participate in you know a competitive activity like sports like what 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 is there to grow how do you grow through that oh there's just so much with uh, sports these days i mean it's really come on in leaps and bounds the coaches these days the training the coaches have is is second to none the technical knowledge the psychological knowledge that a coach needs to have these days in order to be effective with their athletes is is phenomenal i mean Whenever I've spoke about sports coaching in the past, a lot of people assume you're just talking about the sporting discipline. There's far more to it than that because not every athlete, regardless of what sport they're in, turns up motivated for training every day. Right. Not every athlete has an abundance of health, wealth, and happiness. You know, they, they have issues. They have relationship issues. They have mortgage issues. They have illness sometimes. And as a coach, you have to work with the athletes on all these issues as well as the sporting discipline. And it added to that, if you've got a team you're working with, you've got the team dynamics as well as all those individual aspects. So a coach has to understand all this and be able to work confidently with these people in a a variety of ways. And they have to really read and understand the people and build good relationships because that's when when you've built that rapport to such a level that, and you've got that trust there, the athletes will come to you when they've got issues. You'll see it in their training anyway. And that's when you start probing and asking, you know, well, what's going on today? Why aren't, why aren't you performing X, Y, and Z um, as, as we planned? And then you have to start talking through the issues and the, the training. You're coaching the, you're coaching the whole person. You're not just coaching them on technique on how to throw the ball or catch the ball or whatever no, it is. Absolutely. You, you have to. Yeah. You have to. So that leads me to, I always bring in a quote uh, that's relevant uh, to, to my guest of the day. So here's my quote for you. And I just want you to kind of see how that resonates with you and how it uh, relates to, to what you do with your, with your clients. So the quote is, 
A coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see, so you can be who you always knew you could be. Yeah, good quote. <laughs> really good quote. It, it, it is that. It's that in a nutshell, because I always say up front with, with everybody I work with, look, there are going to be times where you're going to be uncomfortable. And I think I said it earlier on, you know, you need to be uncomfortable feeling uncomfortable because that's what makes you stronger. Yeah, otherwise, we're not doing our job as coaches. Absolutely. And I'm not here to be your friend. If I'm your friend, great. That's a bonus. I'm here to be a coach. And, and I won't sugarcoat things. And I'll be very fairly direct. And they're used to that. If you say it from the outset, you know, are you happy with me to be this way and for us to work together in partnership? Because I do view working with clients as their partners. You're a partner with them on that particular moment in time in their life, on that particular part of their journey. And you work in partnership. Yeah. And it only works if you are partners. So, so what do you feel like if you had to pick one skill, and I'm talking really getting very specific, what is one of the most critical skills as it relates to being a good coach, in your opinion? Without doubt, listening. Without a doubt. Prior to me losing a significant amount of sight, I used to class myself as a fairly deep, active listener with my previous roles in life. But we all know that if you lose one of your senses or one of your senses is reduced to a certain degree, your other senses kick in and they become a little bit stronger. You rely on them more, so they become stronger. So I class myself now as a super deep listener. I listen to every word. I listen to every breath because sometimes those breaths speak volumes. Yeah, those breaths are, are actually telling you something. I... I agree 100%. And I actually agree with what you said about listening. I asked myself the question before I asked you. And I said, oh, how would I answer this? And I, my answer would have been asking great questions. But I think that asking great questions leads to listening, right? Like they're, they're connected. I think our answers are, I don't think yeah, either one is wrong. They're kind of related to one another. I think they're interdependent, aren't they? If you're listening intently, you know what questions to, to ask. and. As coaches, we, we understand quality questions to get quality answers, you know, and the more you coach, the, the more fine tuned you become in, in, in your questioning. Exactly. So you had just mentioned how, uh, if someone loses one of their senses, other senses are heightened and you yourself, um, are losing your sight. Um, you told me earlier that you have an ailment. Well, I'm going to, I can't even read my own writing. I'm going to have you tell us the ailment. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's an eye condition called cone and rod dystrophy. And how long have you been um, experiencing that? In 2002, I went for a normal eye test at the optometrist. And uh, the guy there said to me, oh, do you realize you've got a cataract in your left eye? I said, no, I don't. Uh, he said, well, you probably wouldn't notice because your right eye will probably overcompensate for a while and you can still see things through the left eye, but you have got a cataract there and it will need some treatment. I said, okay, what do we do with this? He said, well, you go and see a specialist and uh, they remove it and put a lens in there and, you know, nine times out of ten, away you go, you're fine. So did, I did just that and it was quite strange really because I was in a, it was a day ward and there was about 30 people in there and I was probably the youngest by far. and. Uh, it was like a little factory, going in one door, coming out the other door, and people had been operated on, and they were, oh, great, I can see through my eyes, not cloudy anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And I came out, and it was no different. I was like, ah. And they said, well, is it better? I said, well, no, it's just the same <laughs> as I went in. And they were, okay, so we need to look at this further. 
And and then through the course of the next few years, I had multiple diagnoses from different specialists. Um, some agreed, some didn't agree, some, and it was it was difficult because while the vision was still good in the right eye, um, I had some vision in the left eye. It wasn't brilliant, and different specialists just couldn't really all agree one diagnosis until I went to Moorfields in London in 2011 and had a, a series of tests there. And they, boy, they were thorough. And uh, <laughs> I mean, everything from like gold inlays inside your eyes to, to uh, hooked up to electrodes to brain scan, the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. it was amazing. And they said, you've got this thing called cone and rod dystrophy, which in a nutshell is the cones help you to see 3D color, et cetera, in daylight. And the rods evidently help you see at night, basically, you know, what your depth of perceptions and mm-hmm. your light, light perception, et cetera. And a lot of people either get cone dystrophy or rod dystrophy. You had both. And, and then a few people get both, and I end up with both. And I asked what the prognosis was, and they said, well, we have no time scales. Uh, we did the test, see if it was a hereditary, and it wasn't a hereditary thing, it's an autoimmune. And uh, with no time scales, they just said, well, just go on and enjoy life, you know, as much as you can. So how, where is your site now? So that was 2011, that was nine years ago. Where Where is your site right now in terms of... Uh... Well, in... 2000, uh, 2015, it deteriorated considerably. I woke up, the left eye had already sort of gone to light and movement, and I woke up and I really couldn't see hardly anything. Mm. And that was a, that was a worrying time. So I'm sure, obviously, that's, you know, that's a, a massive challenge, particularly for someone like you who's active and, you know, I'm, I'm sure it would still like to be kayaking and doing certain things. So, how have you dealt with those limitations and what have been some of the benefits, the upsides, you know, what have you chosen to see as a benefit from having had this change in your life? Yeah. Interesting question. And there's probably many, many answers to this. And I don't think we've got time for everything. So I'll go in a <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> no, I mean, the first thing obviously is shock. You know, you, we went straight to the hospital. Uh, I was living in Spain at the time and my, both my sister-in-laws were staying with us actually. Um, and we're all sat there in the hospital, and they said, "Look, there's, there's just nothing we can do. That's it. We we can't do anything. It's it's manifested now, and there's no treatment for it that we know of at this stage. Uh, just have to go home." Then I went to another specialist in Valencia, in in Spain, and this is a, a specialist eye hospital there. And they were they were wonderful. They tried everything, and they gave me everything from uh, assessments for magnification with the little sight I had got. So it was really in-depth, thorough color perception testing to see which was the right, correct lenses to have in glasses so that when, because of the sunlight and how to detract from that and then to move into a building because the lights are artificial. And I spent thousands of euros on different types of glasses because the, the sight was changing like every six months. So you get these really specialist glasses made and then go for a test six months later and say, well, we need to change them now. And were you finding yourself feeling depressed and worried or were you you know how would you describe your demeanor dealing with all this well the professor at moorfields at the time he said look we have no time scales so enjoy yourself and he said hopefully it'll never manifest but the likelihood is high so we planned for that my wife and i planned for that and it was like well okay so if it goes i won't be able to continue doing the job i'm doing um what am i going to do okay well i've never written a book before so I'll try writing a book. So uh, I, I started writing a book. I did a young adult's novel. I had no idea whether it was any good or not. 
I sent it off for a manuscript appraisal uh, to a company in London, and they sent it back with some recommendations, and I had an interview with the appraiser, and lo and behold, I ended up with a book, which I self-published. And then later on, somebody said, well, you've got a military history, why don't you write something like a thriller or something like that, because you've got a, a background. And, okay, so when the site went, I had to learn, and uh, fortunately in the UK, we returned to the UK, fortunately here the, the support is very good. And within a couple of months, I had somebody with me at home teaching me how to, after a, an IT appraisal, teaching me how to use voice-to-text software, text-to-speech software, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote the next three books using that software. Wow. The thing I found difficult was that all of my adult life until that point, I'd been a people person working with people. And, and this sort of put a constraint on that. Well, yes, and, and what I chose to do was writing, which is very isolating. And I found I was missing people. And I did some work with some people. I did some coaching with some friends. And I opened my coaching practice again. I just loved it. And and what, what aside from the coaching practice, which I uh, yeah, it's clear your passion around it, what would you say is a newfound you know, benefit, if you will, an upside to this eyesight issue, meaning, you know, whether it's a heightened sense of other senses or just experiencing things in a new way, what would you say has been the upside? You do appreciate sound of like the birds when you go walking more. You really attune to those. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that when we go, go for a walk. I live right on the coast here. You, I can hear the sea. For, I can just open the window here. And I can hear the sea straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing the birds in the morning, you do really have an appreciation for nature, for the sounds of nature. Mm-hmm. You do hear things more than you would ever hear. I remember being on the beach uh, last year, I think it was, and uh, there was a group of youngsters all together on one side, and, and obviously I have, a, I have a white a white cane. And one of the youngsters was playing up in front of his friends, oh, look at the, old, the blind guy over there, sort of thing, and that from a distance. didn't He didn't think he'd probably be heard from that distance, right. but I heard him. So I just said, thank you for the comments, et cetera. You know, yeah, we appreciate that notice. You know? <laughs> and he was, everybody was laughing. He must have been devastated because he didn't realize you could hear so much from so far. Yeah. So that sense of, that sense of hearing. So um, music, music appreciation is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I see uh, in the background, you've got a guitar there. So I can. I, I'm trying. <laughs> I know. I'm trying too. It's not easy. I'm trying no. as well. So in, in, in closing, I, I kind of want you to leave the, audience with an idea of how you know if they don't choose to engage with you know a coach like yourself how do you how do you encourage people to make choices around making positive changes in their life like what's a what's some process that you can leave with our listeners today well if you don't want to engage with a coach and that's fine there are plenty of books, there are plenty of YouTube videos, etc., and they will all give you a taste of things and exercises you can do to improve your life. But there's nothing beats accountability of working with somebody else. I'll just say that for the start starters. But to that end, I've started a podcast myself, as, as you know, Rob, uh, Your Best Future. And that's why I started the podcast, because I want people to understand how they can create their best future. Now, a lot of people in my experience don't understand if they need something or want to change something or want to become somebody else or become something else, they don't know where to go. There's no signposts for a lot of the things. Or they may have heard of a particular expertise but not understand how it would impact them if they were to engage that particular person. So that's the reason I started my podcast was to 
engage with a variety of expertise where people can actually say, well, I've listened to this person. Uh, I've never realized that what they're doing does X, Y, and Z. And I think I could do with that. And it, this helps signpost to different areas of expertise. They may not go to that particular individual, but they might go to somebody nearer to them that maybe they can inquire about that's maybe more local. Mm -hmm. But it gives them education, it gives them information, and they can come back and they can ask questions. And I think being curious is one of the best attitudes for growth. Yeah, and I think you also um, made a very good point with your earlier coaching example of it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, you, you didn't say it like that, but ultimately it's like, I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of feel like, oh, you know, I'm really passionate about soccer, which is true. I'm passionate about football. Uh, and, you know, but am I going to shelf all my other business and accomplishments and whatnot so that I can be full-time in football at the age of 55? No, but I can probably be in, involved with football to some degree and not shelf the rest of my life. I think that's a really valuable reminder that you gave people because, I think a lot of people avoid change because they're like, well, I'm not going to be a full-time whatever. And so then they don't pursue it at all. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And, and that's, I call myself a future mindset coach. Mm -hmm. And I have this quote is, you know, yesterday's mindset's got you to where you've got. Craft a future mindset to get you where you want to be. Now, there's a reason for that. And the reason behind that term, future mindset, is you can bring with you to the future the elements of your current mindset that have served you well. And then you can craft your future mindset around that. The elements that haven't served you well, yes, we can look at how to eliminate or discard those elements. But it really empowers the individual to craft their best future by creating their future mindset. And if I have this from the outset with the people I work with, they know directly from the first moment we are working to craft their future mindset for their best future. And, and that's, that works. Love it. Know? I love it. Well, your website is in our show notes. Your podcast link will be in our show notes. And uh, I so admire you and so appreciate you being uh, part of the show today. You've been listening to Paul Stretton Steffens. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. This is another episode of Clear Choices. If you'd like to learn more about Paul and his coaching, you can go to his website, which I said will be in the show notes, or get a flavor for how he works on his podcast. And uh, and as as well as with me, if you're interested in learning more about coaching, go to clearchoices.live. Thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.